Hey guys, Good Life Housing Partners, episode 17, here on December 9th, 2020, as the year comes to a close, sitting here with my partner, David Fong, and with the executive producer extraordinaire, Brianna Winkler. Uh, just wanted to kind of chat about what we're seeing out there. Uh, David, I was going to normally bounce the ball over to you, but today I have a question um, I've taken six COVID tests this year, mostly of the concierge variety, where I'm spending 300 bucks plus per test. And as I look into 2021 and the year of the vaccine, I actually think I'm going to be taking a bunch more of these tests. But I think if I was going to short anything, it would be taking concierge tests coming next year, because I think one of the things that we're not really talking about is that the testing of this virus is going to become extremely much stronger than where we are, where we were back in March and April, and even stronger than where we are today. What's your thoughts? No, I think that's, uh, I think as, as we're learning more and more about the virus and people have been researching this and trying to figure out their business plans and trying to fill a need, and there's definitely a need for more testing as we all realize, we're definitely doing, you know, today, obviously, the volume of testing is much higher than it was in the beginning. And the need or the demand for quicker testing, um, you know, has grown exponentially. I mean, even, um, you know, I was looking at student housing, and I noticed a lot of the universities have just kind of just moved the testing in-house. They, they have their own, you know, a lot of the universities have research laboratories and their own facilities, and they've just gotten into the testing business because they need to get tests done quickly um, quickly and inexpensively and, and uh, you know, can't just rely, um, you know, waiting a couple of days to get the test results, especially when you've got all these 20 uh, year olds running around campus and you're trying to keep keep everyone safe and not have like, you know, a massive, uh, you know, super spreader event. Yeah. 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 No, as, I, as I think as we roll into next year and you, you have, you know, definitely people getting vaccines, I think I, I still think we're going to live in a world where we're going to have a pretty regular update on, you know, on at least for a very long time, a daily basis on how many cases were in your city, were in your state, were in your country. And I, I don't think that's going away, you know, really for a while. I mean, I think we're at least maybe at least a year away before that's not a that's not part of the nightly news. What, what do you think? Oh, I agree completely. We 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 definitely testing will be here. I I actually think it'll probably be here longer than a year because I think. You know, viruses will mutate, or there'll be the next, um, you know, type of virus coming in, coming into this country, and so I think, you know, testing and the infrastructure developed through quicker testing and and getting responses and results to people, I think that's gonna, you know, that's gonna be premium because because it's gonna save needs. If you even just think about, you know, traveling at least for ourselves and our business. If we travel to certain hot spots and you come back just for the safety of your the office and also your own family, I think you know you you know having ease of access to inexpensive testing is is uh, you know I, you know I, I find that valuable. I think it's also important for businesses too. Well, I think I think the inexpensive part is definitely a big component of it, but I also think getting rapid results is super important. I mean, we're busy people; we have busy lives. I, I can't like you know, just be on hold for a day or two days waiting for a result. I need that result like right away so that, you know, whether, you know, I need to feel confident going out and being my office, but I need everyone else to feel confident that I'm not, you know, carrying something or asymptomatic or whatever so that they feel good about things too. It, it sort of 
you know, so you need really a rapid result and a cheap test. Yeah. And, and then as we drift into 2021, you're, this will become something that is going to get more and more prevalent. I don't know if it's a new story, but I think, you know, today those tests run, you know, they can be very expensive if you want rapid tests kind of at your door service, like that concierge style. But, it, you know, I think that will, that will exist in some level, but you will see more and more just a regular, very quick test, almost on the level of a pregnancy test. You'll, you'll know right away and you'll have like, decide, okay, I, uh, I got it. I, I need to figure this out or I'm good. And I, you move on with your day. Yeah, the companies who invent that test, you know, and, and who can sell it profitably at, at that inexpensive level will, will probably, you know, we should buy buying that stock. Um, I, I definitely think that, you know, there's a, there's a market demand and need in this society. I mean, you know, the only people who really had access to quick tests are, are you know, it's like the NBA, you know, when they're all in the bubble, they needed, you know, to, to maintain the integrity of the bubble. And like you said, you know, businesses, family, everyone, we all kind of, you know, it's about the confidence again, like we always talk about. It's getting that comfort to know, okay, you know, I'm meeting with so-and-so, they test, this is their protocol. And they, and they even though he flew to Vegas or wherever he went to, you know, he came back and, and, and he's tested and there's a comfort, you know, we're all, you know, following some kind of protocol to, to, to at least try to minimize spreading of things. And, right, you know, and this, this whole year has shown us it's, it's been a year of fear. You know, it's the year of the virus, fear of the virus, fear of catching it, you know, and, and, and the, you know, having, you know, inexpensive, quick, robust testing will, will help mitigate a lot of that. Yeah. So, so just fast forwarding, just like, let's just say, you know, 50, 60 days here, I'm, I'm really interested in one event and, and that's the Super Bowl in Tampa, because I think you're going to have a confluence of actually three things happen there. You're going to have a Super Bowl in a, in a state that has largely reopened and not really concerned about rising case levels. And I expect that to be the same in, you know, February 4th or whatever day that play, game is played next year. And then you're also going to have fans in the stadium because they're largely open, right? And w- w- but what's really interesting that's going to happen is I think you're going to have not only fans in the stadium, but it'll be, it's going to be really interesting to see how full that stadium is because by then, two more things may have happened. One is you may have rapid testing readily available. And as people walk into that stadium to see two NFL teams face off for Super Bowl, whatever, that they're getting tested literally as they're going in. I, I think, I don't know if it's a reality, but I think it's very close. And on top of that, because it's a, a fairly expensive ticket, and it may be the first really like public type of event where you get like, you know, people that probably have gotten the vaccine. If, if they're getting the vaccine, you know, either in the gray market or they're somehow getting it concierge to them. And, you know, you, where you can see this like mix of like people that have been, you know, vaccinated or don't really care, but all of them have been tested on some level. And you could have like, a, a, I don't know, a full stadium, but I think semi-full is kind of interesting, isn't it? Like you could have a stadium full of a lot, you know, good amount of people that feels back like to a year ago. Yeah, I'm not certain. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a pessimist about this. I don't know. I think you are. Super Bowl will make it because that's three months away. But I they guess. already have fans in the stands now. So what? True, true, true. You know? And you have and more there pit. is there's a there's a good part of the country that you know doesn't really care and doesn't believe yeah. and just like hey, whatever, I'll go to Super Bowl. Well, what I was gonna say is I I definitely think um, by the time NBA Finals, you know, 
two two or three more months later after that. I think oh, at that point, there's definitely going to be a fair amount of people who will have been vaccinated in the United States. And so, you know, combine that with the, the you know, the testing that you talk about, which I do agree will, will you know, will, you know, and, and I think a lot of it also is we'll all, you know, in the very beginning, I think maybe it was a little political with the Republicans. There seemed to be sort of this um, shaming of testing and stuff, I think, in some ways. But I think it'll become pretty, pretty commonplace. Um, it's starting to become pretty commonplace now, if you think about it. You know, you know I, when I got my tested, I didn't do any concierge testing and i've done probably six or eight tests you know all my tests are either at the urgent care or, or just a quick drive through at the walgreens and walgreens and cvs are going to be distributing vaccines and so i you know, i think that sort of trend people kind of go to their local walgreens or cvs just to get their quick tests or, you know and maybe they'll have rapid tests there instead of you know you know, you know, buying it and bringing it home. But I do think there definitely be quicker tests, quicker turnaround times. And, you know, instead of the two, three days now, it takes it to Walgreens. And so I do think definitely, you know, there will be a lot of people. I mean, I, I could see it happening, the Super Bowl. But it'll be interesting. But definitely, I, I think by the time of the NBA finals. Yeah, I think or, so. Or even baseball season when that starts. There definitely will be, the, those stadiums won't be empty anymore. For, you know, for business reasons, obviously, they don't want them empty. But I also think just from the fear and and these concerns about about the about the disease, like they're not going to be empty again. This this baseball season, there definitely will be people in those stadiums. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, well, we've gotten uh, on the topics that we're probably not really very uh, experts, or definitely not. <laughs> we won't be considered experts for sure. Let Let's swing it back over to what we do know something about, and that's. Uh, multifamily and industrial real estate. So, you know, w- yeah, as we finished, uh, I finished another trip into Dallas on, you know, looking at a handful of projects that we're working on there. Um, you know, I think we're seeing, we continue to see the space of, you know, buying real assets uh, continue to, to, to really just push forward. I, I think it, it sort of is, is following the stock market. Um, obviously nowhere near as volatile and, and having the swings of the stock market, but just the overall race to buy real assets that are appreciating, that are, have some scarcity to them. You know, I, I think we're in, we're getting into an unprecedented time and, and it, it, we're not, I don't think we're at a level of frothiness or anything because for the most part, we're seeing people still be fairly pragmatic about how they're approaching um, purchasing assets. I, I think, what, David, what's your thought on that? No, I agree with that. I, you know, we definitely, if anything, where certain markets like the suburban markets we look at, um, where I think pricing is kind of getting closer, if not at pre-COVID type levels. Um, I don't think overall, you know, in the in the core core urban markets or the suburban markets, I don't think anyone's really exceeding significantly, um, you know, you know, pre-COVID levels. Um, other than maybe in this, it's a rare, you know, core type industrial deal, logistics deal. Um, but I, but I definitely think any power marks. I think in the in the you know urban areas that we you know we always talk about this sort of there's been a flight to the suburbs during COVID. I do think you know those markets definitely, while there may be some transactions starting to happen, they're definitely not at you know the the pre-COVID levels or anywhere near it. Um, I do think certain markets like you know Dallas, where there's a lot more activity and there's interest, you know. You're, you're starting to see that price creep go back up. So I do definitely think there's uh, I, I, that's improving. I, but I think, you know, one thing we, and we've talked about this like many pods ago, but the price creep is happening 
but I think the spread between where people are able to obtain agency or conventional financing, so just regular financing, you know, nothing like hard money, or just regular financing, and what people are buying, this, that spread really hasn't changed that much. Like, so with pre-COVID levels, people were getting stuff around a five to a five and a half cap, and they were getting, you know, interest rates somewhere between a, like a three and a half and a four and a half, right? So it's like kind of like, you know, 100 to 150 basis point spread between where you were buying something on a cap rate basis and when you were financing it. Is that, you, would you agree with that? Well, on the financing side, yes. I, I mean, actually, we, we, we rate locked today. On, a, on an asset that, you know, apartment asset that we refinance, you know, um, we are, our all in rate is about two and a half percent. Right. And so that's, that's a pretty darn low rate. And that's, that's I, I, on the finance side, yeah, that area, we're, we're definitely pre COVID. Right. Well, so, and, and yeah. so we're, we're at two and a half percent. We do that same project a year ago, and that's closer to three and a half percent or four. Yeah. Right. And so in, in a lot of ways, you know, I, and, and maybe this is a bold statement, but if you look at it, there's actually a, a a little bit the spreads actually widened out, but because pricing is higher and cap rates are lower, but interest rates are lower, that a lot of buyers probably have gotten spooked out a little bit, and they, and they they're worried about you know the first and second quarter of next year pre-vaccine, you know having a lot more choppiness than you know even more choppiness than maybe this year. I think I've heard that now anecdotally like a handful of times. Have you? Yeah. And I, and I think what's also driving financing too is, you know, just like it is on the equity side when, as an investor, all the funds and other groups that didn't do much on, on the acquisition side because of COVID. Similarly, a lot of debt funds, especially bridge lenders, you know, were, were kind of shut down right after COVID happened, but they're all kind of coming back into the market. Everyone wants to make their bonuses. Everyone's looking ahead to January 2021 for the new year, and everyone wants to get their production going. So I've definitely seen a lot more lenders kind of, you know, going into the market, wanting to do deals. And, and as a result, there's competition and the pricing is dropping and they're trying to, you know, be competitive as compared to the agencies. Well, and, and just, just to top that off, I think we're also seeing that, that a lot of, lenders and debt groups are coming back and they're they're coming back in ways that you know they're, they're i've seen a lending group that was uh, i mean i'm sorry a purchasing group where they were primarily retail and hospitality buyers now taking for the first time really long looks at multifamily or even putting multifamily in contract so you're seeing like what where normal funds or or large equity groups that you know Obviously, they have a very strong core competency of a certain asset type. Completely shift that out because, you know, they're just uh, buying retail or wherever it is just seems like a lot more challenging today than it maybe ever has. Yeah, a lot more challenging. And I think a lot of them are probably just trying to rebalance. And rebalance. The portfolio. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and said, hey, let's get some, let's get some multifamily or, or, or similar type assets. Right. We're also seeing, I think, and we just did, we just had a call on this today where we're seeing debt groups that typically had certain, you know, maximum thresholds go well beyond that. And you're saying, you know, that's interesting that they're going, you know, they're generally lending 20 to $30 million and now they're well over that number. What's, what's creating that, you know, that urge or that, that you know, what's creating that, that desire, right? Yeah. It's, and, and, and at least what they tell us when we ask that question to these lending groups is, is, you know, they're, they're, 
strategy or people at the at the investment committee level is is telling them you know we like this asset class you know they they feel it's safer given the experience of covid and so they they say you know put out more dollars yeah and you know and if you need to get your production goals you need to do some bigger dollars then do some bigger dollars we're comfortable with that risk yeah but it's just i mean i don't know like you know i this these are sort of sort of while these are unprecedented times these are also like fairly unprecedented types of actions by, by fairly large groups and lenders, right? You, you don't see that type of shifting or pivoting happening that quickly, especially in our industry, where generally people do whatever they've been doing for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however long they've been doing it, right? So to see such yeah. dramatic pivots, it really speaks to like how people, how quickly economies are moving and how quickly people are reacting to that. Yeah, that's completely true. Yeah, most most lenders and, and people in real estate are generally pretty conservative, and you know they they move very slowly. They, they normally they would in a normal cycle they would just slowly adjust and, and yeah. increase the amount of what they're lending. They don't just quickly make these bold bold you know to go from twenty to double to forty million dollars. Right, or or, or if you're like historically a retail buyer, urban core retail or whatever it is that you're you know retail you're buying, and then suddenly you're saying, hey, I don't know really that much about multifamily, but let's give it a shot. Uh, yeah, you, I guess you can give anything a shot, but you know, generally those types of groups, they're not, you know, they're doing fairly large deals, like you know, Wall Street Journal headline type deals. And to see that type of shift, I have not seen that in my lifetime, where, where people just are making that strong of a pivot. Yeah, I think it's 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 part of the whole new normal, just like how no one's yeah, you know, never had the coronavirus and. And people are just adjusting and changing views and strategies. So yeah, I think this is all part of the change brought on by the virus. Change by the virus. Yeah, we get. So I think I think just kind of wrapping this up, and before we get to our numbers round, I think I think just we're going to see, you know, as much change as we saw this year, we may see actually even more change next year. And I don't really know, besides, you know, not having a lot of basis for this, I just see that the winds of change have never moved this quickly, and. And now is really the time to like kind of really buckle up and figure out where you want to be and how you want your ship to go. Because I, I think you're going to have see some tremendous opportunity that comes through a lot of this change that you see happening. So, Mr. Fong, your number of the week? Uh, 19,500, which is the number of students that Cornell, Cornell University expects to house on around its campus uh, for the spring semester. So, uh it's an increase um, of over 1,500 students from what is currently on campus. And part of that uh, is, the, you know, now that they've sort of lived through the first, you know, fall semester of COVID, um, Cornell, like a number of other universities, uh, Brown, um, uh, Harvard, um, they're, they're, they're feeling that they can manage or they think they, they've learned lessons from the COVID experience. And so they're comfortable having more students come back to, to and that number reflects basically almost 80% of the normal enrollment for them. And so they're, they're, they're trying to move. Obviously, they're economically incentivized to, to bring more kids back, sure. but they're also feeling more comfortable now that they understand the testing. You know, they feel that they can uh, you know, do their own testing and, and to, to, to really maintain a, a vigilant watch on, on and prevent spreading. The other interesting thing about that number two, one of the things I've, I've seen about these colleges is the colleges also feel like they've made some determinations where the risk really is in their minds of COVID. And it's interesting to, to them, they, they're getting comfortable. It's not in the classroom when you look at where people have gotten COVID because in the classroom you have professors and everyone wearing masks and professors enforcing social distancing. And it's really just in terms of the fraternity parties and 
not, not sports in the sense of when they're playing the game, but but really, you know, the pizza parties and the other parties before and after the, the, the game. And that's really, um, you know, where they, they need to kind of be tougher on. The other thing, a lot of the universities feel they, they've developed systems now, you know, uh, you know, more students are reporting on other students. So they have systems there to actually kind of try to contain, you know, or watch people from violating the rules. So they feel a lot more confident about uh, bringing people back. And I think, again, it goes all back to the confidence and feeling that you can maintain uh, a normal kind of student campus environment um, with a virus still in existence. So you're saying that it's those pizza parties that are really causing the spread. Correct. And the frat parties. Yeah. Well, I, I like, I like, I, I love this cute <laughs> image I'm having of just nice 18, 19 year olds just having little dominoes and yeah. yes, spread that coronavirus around, just eating dominoes. Yeah. Very cute. Very cute, David. Norman Rockwell, Mr. Fong. Very cute. Yes. Um, my number is actually 16 bucks. And so I, I kind of go back to the start of this, this podcast that, you know, I, I've been paying like these insane amounts of money, like two, three hundred dollars to get these tests. And I, you know, I'm getting them more frequently because the virus is spreading and cases are spreading. And I'm feeling like I need to test it not only, you know, for my own sanity, but really just those around me. And because unless I've really felt anything. So um, so that's that's the number that I think I'm going to be buying uh, rapid tests for in the next few weeks. Um, so I'm going to buy 25 tests for 400 bucks. And I think I'm going to, I've taken five tests, five success this year. I think I'd probably go right through those 25 tests as we enter next year. And before I, you know, before or when I get a vaccine, I, I think um, that testing for me is just going to get super regular. That's my, that's my, especially at that cost level. And I think after I buy that, I'm going to probably find an even cheaper and more, effective test very shortly thereafter and even easier tests. So I think, you know, if you're going to short something short, short testing cost pricing, I think that, that that's very easily going to be something that I'm looking forward to seeing continue to go down in price and get better uh, results out of. All right, folks, that does it for episode 17. Thanks for joining us. Um, this was longer than normal, but it was a lot of fun for David and I, uh, please do continue to, uh, look at our social media or send us questions at uh, pod at goodlifehp.com. We're always ready and free to answer those and enjoy communicators uh, on those different social media uh, outlets, uh, Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. David, any last words? Uh, be safe, everyone. Just, the, just always the last two words. There you go. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Be safe.